Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the Weirdest Thing podcast. I am your host, Scotty Milder. Yes, I'm your other host, Amelia Ampuero, and we have a special guest today. Yes, we do. Which is super exciting. Uh, we are being joined by Shannon C.F. Rogers. Uh, we know her from we like the way back. <laughs> um but she has uh just released her first book and we're gonna we're gonna get into it we're gonna talk about some cool weird book albuquerque who knows things so shannon hello welcome hello thank you so much for having me yay yay we're excited that you're here so i wanted to start with like just just more of a comment more than a question but um like it's no secret to anyone who listens to this podcast that i read a lot of horror a lot of like real disturbing fucked up shit (laughs) and uh you have i have to say like reading i'd rather burn than bloom probably stressed me out more than any other book i've read this year (laughs) and you have like a couple scenes in particular that actually like rattled me more than any horror novel than i've read wow so congratulations <laughs> wow that's such a wonderful compliment thank you yeah. i think, I think. I'll, I'll take it yeah yeah <laughs> that's definitely a compliment <laughs> yeah i think that's that's scotty's like i don't want to say it's a roundabout because that is something that you're like scotty like mm-hmm. looks for in yeah. something is like how how unsettled can i be by something mm-hmm. yeah. um so and what could be more unsettling than being a teenage girl i don't know oh, yeah God. apparently <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. It's so hard. It's utter hell. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I guess before we like go too much deeper, just like, uh, what's your book about? Yeah, sure. Um, well, so as, uh, as you've already kind of touched on, it's the, it's, uh, well, it's called I'd Rather Burn Than Bloom. It's a story of Marisol Martin, who is a multiracial Filipino American teen from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who has lost her mother in a car accident suddenly. Mm-hmm. And the book is about the year that she learns how to drive. So it's about, it's about a lot of things. It's about identity, coming of age and grief mm-hmm. and um, kind of uh, big feelings big socially unacceptable feelings yeah 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 and it's something that uh you know scotty and i were hanging out yesterday listen it's always really cool when you have friends who make something whatever that is whether it's Mm. like visual art or film or theater or they write or whatever and it's always a little like oh god oh god Like, they're going to give me this thing and I'm going to have to consume it. Mm -hmm. And I hope it's good. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's so wonderful to find that somebody that you like personally know or are friends with has made something. And not only is it good, it's like really fucking good. Mm -hmm. And that's Scotty and I were talking about it last night that we were just like, she, Shannon is such a good writer, like so your your sense of like voice is is really just excellent Mm -hmm. and there's like there's a sense of like control in the language while at the same time the emotions are as like chaotic as possible (laughs) that is like like just for me as a writer i'm like oh there's some things i need to like make note of here oh my gosh yeah like you were 
and I guess maybe this goes to my first question. Yeah. And it's it's like a little bit of a comment slash question. But, um, you know, if I didn't know that the book was being marketed as YA, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of it as YA. Like I, mm -hmm. and I was mm -hmm. telling this to Amelia last night, I was like, it's to me, it's just like literary fiction. And that kind of makes me feel like maybe I have some preconceived notions about what YA means. And I know mm -hmm. as a horror writer, I'm always like annoyed when people think they know what horror means when they're not like necessarily <laughs> readers of the genre. Right. So I guess like what, it, like there was a rawness to the emotions in the book that I don't typically associate with YA. So like, what does it mean to you? Like, where are those boundaries for you? And what does it mean to you to think of it in terms of uh, a book for younger audiences. Yeah, no, thank you. I love I love that question. Well, and first of all, thank you so much for your kind words. I really, it means a lot to me and <laughs> I respect you both as artists so much. So thanks. Yeah, That's yeah. cool to hear. But I mean, as far as YA, and it's interesting that you brought up genre, Scotty, because I think that that's probably where a lot of the confusion kind of lies. Mm -hmm. Like people think about YA as a genre, but I heard it explained to me best as more of a shelf in a bookstore. So mm -hmm. YA simply exists to market books to teenagers in, right. in that can encompass a great deal of things. And, you know, literary fiction is in there as well as horror and ro romance and comedy and all kinds of things. And really, it's a it's a it's an interesting question. I actually wrote my MFA thesis on this when I was in grad school, um, which was about, you know, who is YA for? How are certain YA authors kind of subverting mm -hmm. hero's journey kind of narratives that are typically this like coming of age kind of right. buildings roman, you know, kind of style, the buildings roman of it all. Mm -hmm. And really it, it emerged in the 1950s as kind of, yeah, a marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. So I think that I talked to a lot of author friends who are kind of in the creative stage with a project and they're not sure, you know, which way they want it to go. Um, but you have to know before you start to query agents because mm -hmm. um, your agent is the person that's eventually going to send sell your manuscript to an editor, right? So right. the marketing process begins even at that stage, you have to decide. Wow. And I've heard friends trying to get agents who have gotten the feedback that like this, if you change it to YA, then I'll take it. Um, mm. or if you, or, or vice versa, or this is YA, but it doesn't feel like these characters seem too adult or something, mm. but co me coming into it is it's interesting because I come to it from an educator's perspective. I work in the education space. Right. And so I kind of am familiar with what young people are reading and also what their lives are like, and also what they're capable of handling, which is mm -hmm. a lot, you know, like there are a lot of themes and obviously teenagers read everything. They don't only read YA. I'm sure you guys were reading adult books when you were in Gotta eat specifically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started with Stephen King when I was like 13 or something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it can encompass a lot of things. I think that there's a lot of really beautiful, amazing YA fiction out there. And I think it is published on that shelf particularly because somewhere an editor has convinced the people at their publisher that like teenagers will buy this or some will mm -hmm. buy it for a teenager and we're going to package it that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, it makes me think of like, when I think of like horror as a genre. Yeah. Um, you know, horror encompasses so many things, everything from like splatterpunk right. to like literary. And it's in some ways it's like more a state of mind or like a, Hmm. an emotional state that you're in and I feel like hmm. maybe there's something like that with YA where it's like this 
your book really took me back to the, I mean, I was not a teenage girl. I was a teenage boy, obviously, (laughs) but your book really took me back to the experience of being a teenager in a way that not much has in a long time. So again, it's, it was like more thinking of the YA-ness of it is more like a state of mind. Like you're, you're speaking very honestly to your target audience of younger people and like capturing something about that experience that felt very raw and very honest. Yeah. I think that this is exactly what I really love about YA is those like big feelings. Like there's something about the kind of firstness of it all, I think. That, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like the first time you're going through something and being a teenager feels so visceral and so major, you know, because a lot of those, you know, a lot of those experiences are your first. And I think that I'm resonating with it, though, as an adult. And I think maybe it it resonates with us as adults because this kind of like coming of age concept is something that happens a lot through our lives. Like I mm. kind of feel like I'm always yep. coming, coming to of a age. Phase. Yeah. I'm like always yeah. coming yeah. of age, right? I'm like, okay, now here I am now experiencing something for the first time as an adult, or I'm like in between, I'm like leaving something behind. Yeah. I think that when I was writing the book, I was exploring grief, obviously, but I think a lot of different kind of kinds of grief. And one of those mm. is kind of like a grief of a childhood being over. I think that that's always kind of innate in YA. It's like yeah. realizing that you're not a child anymore. It's kind of something that sort of happens overnight, I think. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of a, a waking up and yeah, seeing that like you're not like you're not a kid anymore. You're in that weird liminal space between childhood mm-hmm. and adulthood. And like, what the yeah. fuck are you supposed to do? Exactly. With that, you know, <laughs> and I, I actually read, um, I actually read a lot of YA and I, mm-hmm. I've read a lot of Latina YA. So like don't date Rosa Santos and oh, fat God. chance, Charlie Vega. And, you know, uh, I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter and all that stuff. And uh, like along those lines, there is very much this thing that even though Marisol is Filipina, you know, there is this sort of Latina, Filipina, like cousin yeah. quality of, totally. of <laughs> having, you know, the same colonizer um, <laughs> that it's, it's always so refreshing for me to read these books because it reflects my experience back to me, which has been like completely missing from most of the literature that I have been exposed to. So it was like, I was so just immediately transported in to like you know 14 15 16 year old me in reading your book and I was just like oh I just want to give everybody I just want to give everybody a hug yeah well you know what's interesting is you know because like I don't have those same shared experiences that you guys do you know just from the gender perspective obviously but, you know, it's something I tell my writing students all the time is like, because like, like I'll get students and they'll give me like a short film script and the main characters will be like man and woman. And I'll be like, who are they? What are, <laughs> what, what are their names? Like, well, I really kind of wanted them to be like every man and every woman because <laughs> I want like everyone to be able to relate to them. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Like the more specific you make something, the more relatable, because I don't relate to a concept. Like man is a concept, right? It's not a person. Yeah. And like, so there are things with like Marisol that like very different from my experiences. But I remember what it's like being an incredibly angry teenager Mm -hmm. and not knowing where to put that anger, being Mm -hmm. incredibly awkward, feeling like just a big sore thumb in a crowd all the time. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot there that like 
I was able to relate to, even though the experiences are so different. And I think it's because she's just, she's such a human character that she becomes universal in a way. I think that's a really good observation. Like there's the, what do they call it? It's like the universal in the specific. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you can kind of relate to anybody if you, if, if you knew kind of, isn't that a quote? You can really, you'd relate to anybody if you knew their story. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you kind of understood where they were coming from or their thought process, or you're kind of let into their inner world, then you could really kind of, you know, even if you're like, okay, maybe I wouldn't have done that, but you can kind of be like, I see where you're coming from, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I love writing in uh, first person present tense POV for that reason, because I feel like just mm-hmm. instantly it does drop you right in that person's mind and their inner world. And, you know, young people are so often kind of discounted, you know, as if they don't have rich inner worlds and like certain yeah certain other intersecting identities really compound that, you know, but, you know, a teenage girl is something that is an insult. That's something that is spoken of disparagingly. Yeah. So, but just like having her thoughts like there on the page and her emotions right there on the page, centering the story being kind of the whole point of the story. There's, you know, obviously big things are happening, but really the, you know, the narrative crux of it is really just like, she feels really bad and she starts to feel a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and I just think that, I don't know, it's important for me and my work to really honor that and, and put it right in the middle of everything. Yeah. And it is such a like, I mean, I've never been a teenage boy, so I don't know how teenage boys like process their emotions, but it's like yeah. just, you know, going through it and 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 seeing everything that happens to um to Madi Soul and the like various entanglements that she gets into with other people and you know she's in this space of deep grief and like you said just sort of like I don't know what I don't know like what to do with this and so she's just kind of bouncing around mm-hmm. and it's so like it was so heartbreaking to read it because she's at an age where she can make decisions that have intense consequences yeah mm-hmm. and uh for that to be the like the laboratory, the Petri dish where she is like learning that lesson for the first time is just, ooh, what a, it's, it's, it's like crushing and it's breathtaking. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I do want to say like, we're, you know, Scotty's talking about like deeply unsettling. I'm talking about heartbreaking and yes, all of these things exist in the book, but also there's, I think one of my favorite things about it is how like deeply deeply albuquerque the book is <laughs> um i was saying at Yay. one point i was like she goes to a party and i'm like oh man i don't know how many parties i went to like that like it's at somebody's house and there's a fire in the backyard and like mm-hmm. you know there's a ton of and i was just like oh this is so like I so intimately know this. Mm. And that was also a very cool experience to read a book and to have not to just be like, oh, yeah, I know that place because I've been there. But to be like, I know that place. I know that vista. I know that gas station. I know that house. I Mm. like I know that high school. I mean, I feel like yeah. I know the specific record store that you based the record store on. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yep. Yeah. All of that yeah. stuff. And it was just like, oh, wow. Like, you know, when the whole like conversation of representation matters, like really started coming up, I think it was very easy mm-hmm. for people to be like, 
why? Like, why does it matter? And the mm-hmm. thing that's so crazy about something like representation is you don't understand how badly you've needed it until you get it. And then you're like, oh gosh, there was this way for me to connect to this art, this whatever, mm-hmm. in such a deeper way. And it's not that I can't without it, but it's a completely different experience, I think, to like really see yourself, your hometown, your experience, whatever reflected in a work of art that you can just be like oh okay like i'm i'm here i exist i'm i matter it's so affirming yeah one of those moments for me i didn't grow up in albuquerque i grew up in los alamos but Mm -hmm. you know i've lived here a long time and you have a moment where my soul and her friend elizabeth drive to the tram parking lot and look out over the Mm -hmm. city it's like at dawn i think And you talk about the bison moving on the Sandia Pueblo. And it's just like, I do that exact image. Mm. That's one thing I'm always like, as a writer, I'm always really concerned with is trying to capture a specificity of place. And I said a lot of stuff, not necessarily in Albuquerque, but just in the Southwest in general. I'm always trying to capture that sense of like what it feels like here. Like, how did you approach that? Was that? sort of more intuitive or was there like specific images you wanted to capture that you knew were like um had to be in the book that is such a great question I feel like the I love to read a a book and get a really strong sense of the place Mm. and I think that and it probably like like you Amelia I don't I probably didn't read anything that was set in certainly in Albuquerque until I was in college until I was I was at UNM and I studied creative writing and I read a book by Rodolfo Anaya I don't think Mm -hmm. I had ever Mm. you know picked up a book that was like oh this is New Mexico and it really did just blow my mind open I'm like oh Like you can, mm-hmm. you can write about this place. I can write yes. about, I can write about the tumbleweeds and the mountain and, you know, everything. I think that when I did write it, I was living in New York already. And so I was really homesick. And so I was kind of thinking about the ways that I like explain New Mexico to people that have never been there. Mm. And I'm like on the East coast. And so a lot of people are like, yeah, like you're, aren't you from Arizona or something? You know, like it's very, <laughs> Like, it's all kind of like. <laughs> I found yeah, in Boston, yeah. everyone thought like it, everything was Texas. Like, they didn't right, understand exactly. the differences. A lot of so people like, just no. think it goes Texas, Arizona. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, yes. Even yeah. if, if Arizona, <laughs> a lot of people think it's just like Texas, California. California, like, exactly. <laughs> if there's any Southwest in there at all, like New Mexico, yeah. like boop omitted right. so yeah. there were just like all these things that I would I wanted to think about like the super super specific hyper specific things yeah um, which so like if we're thinking of hyper specific characters being relatable I think like the hyper specific place stuff is the is the stuff that's going to make it feel really grounded and real yeah. and I really take a page from all different other kinds of genres for that reason like I think that when I first started writing contemporary fiction, can you can just get really lazy with it, or at least I can. I don't know, I'm just kind of lazy as a writer, but it's, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's a cafeteria. It's a high school cafeteria. You know what that's right. like, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's the details that are really like, no, it's like, it's it's a, there's chipped turquoise paint on everything. And like, there's, you know, the sun is is pounding through this, this like skylight. And so it's like really yeah. hot. And those are the kinds of details that are in more, you know, like fantasy or in like historical fiction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what's everybody wearing? What does it sound like, smell like? Like bringing those kinds of things in contemporary fiction. It was, it was hard for me. That was a growing area for me. So I'm thrilled that it came across. Like to hear people from New Mexico that feel yeah. like it's, it feels like it's really there is a huge yeah. relief, to, a relief to me. I was like really afraid I was getting it wrong. So 
No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I really was like, God, the, I like, I, I, <laughs> it's Elizabeth, right? The friend who's the theater kid, mm-hmm. yes. right? That she mm-hmm. makes. Yeah. That was very much a character that I was just like, oh God, like that was, that was a little, that was a little bit of me in high school, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and like coming from a family where it was like, like, we don't want you to be friends with those people. Like mm-hmm. you are better than those people. Yeah, I'll admit I was like I was sort of half picturing you when I was picturing Elizabeth. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, well, like you have just these like great. I mean, sometimes it's not it's it's just like the simplest description. Like you talk about all the different friends in their beige houses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like that feels very Albuquerque or New Mexico in general to me. You know? It's so funny because I've had people come to visit who have never been to New Mexico. And at first they're like, why is everything like, why does everything look the same? And I'm like, it doesn't just like, give it a sec. Mm-hmm. I know that we don't have like a ton of brick or like shiplap yeah. or whatever that stuff is, but like, give mm-hmm. it a sec and you'll start <laughs> to see that they actually all do look different and that there's different styles and the architecture and stuff but uh yeah did you was that something that like I don't want to say that you got like resistance with but did you encounter people in the writing of this book that were like what is this like this sounds like a foreign like a, this sounds like a different planet like you're talking about tumbleweeds <laughs> and you know all that kind of stuff did you was it like did you struggle at all with getting getting to the point where you're like this place exists it really is like this mm. I promise I swear. I think at some point I got notes from my agent where she was actually like, you can dial this back a little bit. Like it was like starting to like, (laughs) like at some point there was this whole, like there was like a green chili interlude where there was like a whole chapter where Marisol was like, anyway, green chili, here's what's going on. Like she was just like broke it down. (laughs) Oh, amazing. And then at some point I had like three paragraphs in a row about coyotes Mm. and my agent is she's super sweet she's super nice and she just like had there's a little comment in the google doc that was like do we need all of this about coyotes i was all like okay coyotes, <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably, Maybe we, probably not <laughs> should we tone it back a little bit and you were like yeah. okay let me right, well, delete yeah. delete delete it's funny like one note that i got <laughs> when i was selling screenplays and i was writing stuff set here it was right mm-hmm. around the time of breaking bad mm-hmm I kept getting people like either like it's too much like Breaking Bad or it's not enough like Breaking Bad. Like it seemed oh, like that wow. was like the there was I was like I don't I don't know how to thread the needle that you're trying to get me to thread of like just yeah. enough Breaking Bad in there. Like it, it seems like that's the only touchstone people have of Albuquerque. It is. Yeah. We I have been in different parts of the world. And people are like, where are you from? And we say Albuquerque and they go, oh, breaking bad. You know, like we were in Spain and somebody said that, our driver mm-hmm. said that. And we were like, well. Yeah, well, I got that yeah. in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> I have know? a lot of, yeah, same. I've, I've gotten that lots of places. And I have a lot of cachet by by being able to say like, oh yeah, I know, uh, know a lot of the stunt people. And, uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Featured yeah, extras same. on that oh, show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people who are on that show. You know, I know, uh, I know the, what, what is Peter played? He's the DA. Is he the DA? Oh, right. And Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Like just being able to say that. Uh, uh, our uh, <laughs> wonderful man, Peter Dyseth, who plays, I'm not remembering the name, but it's the Petty with the Priors character. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm just not, being yeah. able to say that to people, people are like, oh my God. Yeah. What? And I'm like, everybody you see on film is that to somebody. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, 
And they all know somebody too, right? Because am I getting the lore right that it was originally written to be in Southern California, but then mm -hmm. because they were shooting it in New Mexico, then they changed yeah. it. Basically, think, yeah. the the way I understand it is that it was written to be Riverside, California. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. It was originally sold to um, FX, mm -hmm. uh, but then FX put it on put it in turnaround because they thought it was too similar to um, Sons of Anarchy. Okay. Uh, but they were like. Hmm. Like, I mean, I guess. A, well, I mean, just crime, <laughs> crimey drug. Yeah, show, I guess. I and so, uh, but FX was like big enough fan of it that they were like, "We don't want to like kill the show, so rather than bury it, which is what you would normally do, we'll actually let you sell it to another network." Um, so that's when Vince Gilligan was able to go to AMC, and AMC was like, "Yes, we love it. We want to do it. We do not have the money to do it in California, so go check out Albuquerque." And he was like, "Ugh, Albuquerque! Like, where's that?" <laughs> and then he got here and was like, "Oh, this is perfect. This is better than what I wrote." And he and he fell in love with it so much that I, like I think he lives here now. He lives that's in awesome. Santa Fe or something. Uh, like, he was he was really great too about. Yeah about i know it's a show about drugs like i get that and i know that there, there people have a lot of feelings about what breaking bad did for albuquerque's reputation mm -hmm. but he mm -hmm. also did a really wonderful job of of using breaking bad as a love letter to the city like yes. the mm -hmm. way this like the landscape looks and yes. the way he filmed everything and just how much he was like you guys are awesome we couldn't have done this show without the city mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. so cordial and like so much gratitude that I was mm -hmm. like, hell yeah, make, you know what, make other shows about drugs. Everyone I know from New Jersey is super proud of the connection to the Sopranos. So it's, oh, right. like, <laughs> it's the same with us. And that. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder if the, I wonder if why, you know, the specificity of the place, it's almost like if you're in a place, you can't help but be, mm -hmm. you know. Like if you're going to be partnering with the local people and you're going to, it's going to be on film. Like there's something about the place that just yeah. seeps into it. And because mm -hmm. it does feel like it couldn't have been, it's not about anywhere else. It's it's about Albuquerque, obviously. Yeah. 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 Well, and so that like, and this is like kind of for both of you guys, I guess, but like you guys both grew up out here uh, in, in Albuquerque. I grew up in Los Alamos, which has got some crossover. Like one thing mm -hmm. I will say, like Elizabeth's family mm -hmm. in the book felt very Los Alamos to me. Okay. Because mm -hmm. like, of the last. Like, oh, I, I remember those parents who like mm -hmm. were always like, like, are you sure that this is like the best use of your time? And do you really need to be hanging out with that kid? And so that felt very Albuquerque, or that felt very Los Alamos. But there was a lot of stuff that felt very different than what I grew up with and like one thing you know the sneaking out and going to college parties and stuff like mm -hmm. like how true to life and experience was all of that mm -hmm. there's an element of like oh there's a nice veneer of like suburban middle class and then underneath it's like everything feels like pretty chaotic <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know about you, Amelia, but I was, uh, I think it was, it was true for other kids, not true for me. I did not sneak <laughs> out. To any, I didn't sneak out to any parties when I was in high school. I was a very good girl, quote unquote. I didn't even drink until I was in college. So a lot of the, the hijinks that Marisol is getting up to, not based on my own life, <laughs> life at all. <laughs> Yeah, I will say that I'm, you know, the youngest of three children. So by the time I got to high school age, my parents were sort of like, well, I also had, and this is a little old world, but 
Uh, I also had a boyfriend that my parents really, they liked him. He was respectful. He was a good kid, you know, got good grades. Yeah, they trusted Mm -hmm. him. So if I was like, I'm going somewhere with him, they were like, okay, whatever, go. Mm -hmm. But I do know Mm -hmm. that my older brothers got into plenty of (laughs) (laughs) that kind, that kind of trouble. And I, I think... I think there's also too something for like first gen kids where it is a different, it is like you're under a bit more of a watchful eye because you Mm -hmm. have at any moment, your parents are going to be like, we came to this country for you, you know, not, not for you to be sneaking out and doing bullshit like this, (laughs) we came for you to make something of yourself. And you're like, God, I just wanted to go to a party. Um, Yes. (laughs) That's a different, that's a different experience as well. Yeah, yeah, there's but, a real like fear on the part of the immigrant parent about what you're doing that oh, then yeah. makes it hard for you to be paradoxically to what the parent wants from you to be honest with them. Yeah. And so then you do kind of create this like, uh, and you know, it's not exclusive to immigrant parents, but I think it is a very specific thing that I have noticed that you then become very adept at lying or omitting mm. the truth or framing, you know, framing things in a way that, you know, is going to not freak them out. Yeah. And it's like you're, and it's to protect them, you know? That's yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely this thing. God, like, ugh. just, I have such a big heart for like first gen kids because there's just so much that like, there's so Me many too. ways that I think we're like protected and sheltered in those ways that you're saying of like not being able to go over to sleepovers if somebody has like, you know, a brother or a stepdad because nunca sabes, like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, my like my parents had to meet the parents of every place that I went, like every party that I went mm. to, they would like walk up to the door and meet the parents. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are like deeply humiliating as like a 13 and 14 year old. Right. And at the same time, you as a child are also working as like translator, you know, Mm -hmm. IT person, (laughs) like tech support, (laughs) you know, working as service, everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) As the go between if there's like a language barrier. And so it's this weird, like, hyperprotective childhood but also growing up in a way that is like a like adultification in a very mm-hmm. like business yes. kind of way mm-hmm. totally yeah and with Mari's soul I wanted to kind of explore so I'm I have one immigrant parent and then mm-hmm. one parent who is an American and my dad was white and my mom was from the Philippines and so I think her grief and losing her mother and losing like all of that, you know, having, having this Mm -hmm. situation be the way that she's defined herself and then to have it gone, I think really it triggers, I mean, grief, losing a parent is enough, but that complexity triggers a real existential crisis for her because so she's like, if I'm not my mom's daughter and everything that that means on the day to day, then who Mm. am I exactly? Yeah. Well, Um, her dad is so unequipped. Like mm-hmm. I, I found myself, I think, going on her emotional journey with him, where like there was mm-hmm. a point in which I severely almost hated him. Mm-hmm. And then like Yeah. But then like you kind of <laughs> like you get to I don't want to spoil it, but there's there's uh there's a moment right at the very end where it's like you kind of see what he was going to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's also grieving. He didn't know the right things to do. Yeah. And, like, and I, I do love that he actually I don't think this gives anything away, but I do yeah. love that he's like, I don't know. Like I had I don't know how to deal with this. I'm dealing with this for the first yeah, time. Yeah, what does he say? I never had a wife die before. Yeah. Know? Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a new one on me, kid. Sorry. Yeah. I think yeah. he put me so in her perspective that I actually forgot, like, you know, that he was 
And I think, mm-hmm. that, and this is like true to life as a teenager. You don't yeah. think about what your parents are going through. You don't think about their emotional struggle. You're just thinking about like, why aren't you here for me? Why don't you understand what I'm going through? Why don't, you know, and that's yes. just, that's just sort of the teenage mentality. And I think that's part of what I mean when I say you kind of tumbled me back into that in a way mm-hmm. that yeah. was kind and- of expected. And we see that with Marisol and her brother too, right? Mm-hmm. That it's this thing of like, she's so deep in grief and then sort of is like, oh, is my brother not okay? And yeah. it's like, <laughs> you know, bitch, no, nobody's okay. Yeah, Probably not. Okay here, right? Everybody's yeah. hurting just as much as you are. But yeah. I also think that that's such an endearing thing about like Marisol and like reading her on the page is like, you know, remembering how self-absorbed you can be at that age and not because you're like, oh, I'm the only thing that matters, but because that you're, you are coming into the first times in your life when you really have to be like, oh, there are other people and they feel things. And sometimes it's the same things that I'm feeling. And sometimes my actions make those people feel things. And like, we're all, we're all like Mm -hmm. in this together, sharing Mm -hmm. these experiences. I'm not an island. Um, yeah well like you have a moment and again i don't want to spoil anything but you know she has uh her childhood best friend that she has a really nasty falling out with and they do have a conversation (laughs) you know and she's so angry at yvonne um even though she even though marisol understands the things she did to fuck that relationship up um but when they do have a moment where they talk where yvonne's like i know you've hated me for a really long time and it's Mm -hmm. like we have this window mm. to see like how Yvonne has been interpreting things. Right. And like you and I feel like you do a really masterful job of like giving us that window into almost every character where no mm. one there's no one that becomes like I said, I almost got to the point where I hated her father. And then you reminded me, no, he's a person too. You know, yeah. he's a person too and he's going through his own pain. Yeah. You know, and like even with uh Elizabeth's uh parents who were like I said, they reminded me very much of parents of friends of mine. But it's like I they never became the caricature like snooty rich parents, you know, looking down their nose at everyone else. You know, it's there. That's part of who they are, but it never becomes like the sole defining trait, you know. Yeah. I just, man, I remember my dad having conversations like the one that Elizabeth's mom has right at dinner. (laughs) I remember my dad having conversations like that with friends of mine. And I just was like, I just want to like evaporate. I'm (laughs) humiliated. (laughs) And then I look back on it now and I'm like, maybe not the best way to go about it, but like, I mean, he did have a point, you know, they're looking out with some real stupid people right (laughs) they just want to know who you're hanging out with yeah that's their entry point (laughs) well that's another thing like so one moment that jumped out at me was just like i was like oh this was very much not my experience with my parents was when she texts her dad marisol texts her dad and says my friend elizabeth invited me over for her parents invited me over for dinner and he immediately says no i have not met them or her and it's like, I never would have gotten that, I don't think, from my parents. And I feel like that's partly maybe the difference from growing up in a small town to growing up in a city. Like, that felt mm, like yeah, there was never, I don't remember my parents. I definitely had friends my parents didn't like. And they're like, that dude's a douche. Why are you hanging out with him? But like, <laughs> um, but there was never that, like, no, I have to meet them. I have to, like, vet them kind of thing first. Mm, that, because that they knew each other. Specific. 
they knew each yeah. other already yeah no, and it's like we're all less almost kids how much trouble are we going to get into you know sure yeah and what are you going to do <laughs> go into the mountains and do science or like <laughs> <laughs> exactly bring your parallelograms yeah. to the parties like yeah. that's right <laughs> I had a coworker who read my book, um, which was very nice and lovely. And he, um, one of the first things he asked me when we connected to talk about it was, um, oh, you said, oh, how big is Albuquerque? It's like, I didn't realize how big it is. Like how many high schools, like he, you know, mm-hmm. we work in education. So he was thinking about that. It's like, I didn't realize it was such a big city really. And yeah, I think that's another interesting thing about reading YA that's really specific in place because yeah, there are so many variations about the teenage experience across our very diverse country, you know, and mm, yeah, and I definitely would love to read more of the small town side of things and mm. the maybe mid-sized city kind of things. Yeah, I thought um, you, yeah. I thought you captured the sense of Albuquerque as a like small city, like it's a yeah. city, but it's like never feels like LA or New York. It's like, it still has that somewhat contained feel. And, you know, she even talks about like, you know, her entire life is sort of circumscribed in this grid that she has grown up with. Yeah. There's always the possibility, the terror that you might run into somebody that, you know, even if it's... Right, <laughs> that could happen still. Yeah, like yeah, even running into a brother at that party. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still like that. I've been back here for what 16 years now, <laughs> and I'm still like, there will be times that I'm in the grocery store and I'm like, fuck, I went to high school with that person, and I'm just I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. Oh, do the whole thing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, there, like, I think what's interesting about Albuquerque in terms of its size is that it is, it doesn't feel so, you know, you don't feel like an ant like you do in like New York or Los right. Angeles, but it's also not a thing of like, oh my God, everybody knows my business and right. everybody knows what I've been up to. Like you are afforded a bit of anonymity in Albuquerque mm-hmm. without yeah. feeling like you're like invisible um which right. yeah I, again i also think is something that that came through really well in the book yeah <laughs> thank so you just, i'm just yeah. sitting i'm just yeah <laughs> i'm just sitting here like <laughs> just trying to take it all in so yeah yeah so one thing i'm curious about like i was i saw you got your uh a degree in creative writing from mm-hmm. unm and then your mfa from antioch is that correct Yes, yes. Antioch University, Los Angeles. And they're both creative writing degrees, which, you know, makes me think you're kind of like me, probably always saw yourself as a writer. Like when on your, like, what part of childhood did that kind of lock in? That mm. Like, oh, this is what I want to do. Or like, that, oh, I'm mm. good at this. Or mm. like for me, it was sort of around middle school. Like kind of when was it for you? Um, Yeah, a, a little bit younger for me. Pretty young. I was um, writing stories from when I was in elementary school. I mean, stories would be a generous word to describe what they were, but (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of writing words down, mostly focused on characters. I remember I had this little, it was a series that I made out of like uh, construction paper. It was called the girl you should look up to. Mm. Um, (laughs) and for some reason, (laughs) I know. Thank you. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was kind of just like she did it. She never did anything though. This is very tell, not show. She never did anything. And it was never clear why you should look up to her based on anything. <laughs> based on anything that you did. 
<laughs> that she did. That she you were like, kids. yep. <laughs> yep. You just take my word for it. You should look up to her. She had kids. And then the next book would be about like one of her kids. And I just like made these little, these little like, books. <laughs> and one that. of the librarians um, at my school put it in the library, like on the desk where you would check oh, out the books. Yeah, I saw that. that. You mentioned that deal. in your acknowledgments. Yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a huge deal to me. <laughs> So for when I was young and I was reading, you know, I was reading like a lot of like, like young readers and, you know, your goosebumps mm-hmm. and your uh, babysitter's club and animorphs, yeah. very into animorphs at the time. Mm-hmm. So big reader. And, and then middle school and high school kind of morphed into, I wrote a lot of fan fiction mm. and uh, on fanfiction.net. And yep. uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was always writing from when I was, when I was pretty young. What was the fan fiction for? That's, that's, that's a fascinating thing for me. Cause I feel like I came along, I'm maybe just enough older that I've missed that. But I've okay. talked to other writers and that, like that fan fiction subculture was like an entry point for a lot of people. Like what yeah. were, what was the draw? And then what were some of the, some of the things that you were reading like fan fiction for? I think the draw is that you're just dropping into a world that already exists. Mm-hmm. And it's almost kind of like, I love this world. Maybe you're waiting for the next book to come out or something, the next movie to come out. And you can just like write it yourself and just kind of be part of it. Mm-hmm. And the social component was was part of it too. This was a time when anonymous internet friends were a thing, uh, yeah, you know, on yeah. like live, live mm-hmm. journal and uh, stuff like that. Zanga. I had a Zanga too. Um, <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, I wrote, it was actually Animorphs fan fiction is what I was writing in high school. Have you guys read these? Have you read the Animorphs books? Do you know the ones? (laughs) I'm going to have to look them up now. Yeah. You've probably seen the covers because the covers are very iconic. And it's it's like, anytime there's a meme about the Scholastic book fair, they're there. It's when there's like a kid changing slowly into an animal. Yes. Oh my gosh. No. Yes. Okay. Oh, wow. So those are the Animorphs and it's a, it's a sci-fi series that is just like really effective anti-war propaganda. I still think about some of these books to this day. Mm. There's these kids that are given the power to morph into animals by an alien that has crash landed on earth. And as he's dying, he reveals to them that earth is slowly being taken over by this like parasite alien population. And (laughs) he gives them, he gives them the power to morph into animals to like protect earth. (laughs) That's cool. <laughs> it is really cool. And they're in middle school. And, and, so they, <laughs> and so then they like slowly become part of this like intergalactic war. Um, nice. It's, it's yes. this incredible series. And so I, for some reason, thought that I would write um, about another, like basically simultaneously as that happened, another alien also crash landed and gave the power to a different group of middle schoolers. So I like created my own little side cast. Oh, um, nice. And the story was then they them meeting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it yeah. was it, it was definitely fun. And, and, and I mean, there so was, this was there's, like, go ahead. I was just gonna say, there's fanfic about everything. Everything, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, of course, you get the big stuff like Harry Potter, and um, I'm sure like Game of Thrones. There was probably mm-hmm. a ton of, you know, mm-hmm. you know, all the big books and the big series like Twilight. Twilight was a, clearly we know. Fifty Shades came from <laughs> yeah. Twilight fanfic, um, but then you'd be like scrolling through, and it was like Super Mario Brothers or like Garfield fanfic, and I'm like, what is what does anybody have to say about Garfield that they felt the need to go and be like, I gotta write this by myself? 
There's a there's a pretty celebrated splatterpunk author. Her name's Christine Morgan. I met her at KillerCon last year, and on one of the panels, she was talking about. And she's, I mean, like one of her books is called like Sperm Jackers from Hell. Like, I mean, she is like, <laughs> you know, hardcore like splatterpunk. You know, like wow, wow. Um, but she said on one of the panels, she was like, she got her start really doing right. She said, I think she wrote like a million pages worth of uh, fanfic for Gargoyles, the cartoon. Gargoyles! <laughs> I'm just, I'm always like, I, I want to ask her at some point, like, how do you go from Gargoyles fanfic to Sperm Jackers from Hell? Because that seems like sure. a <laughs> And also a million pages. I think she literally said it was like a million pages or something. My wow. God! <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is, and the, like, I think that it's really easy to be like, fanfic, whatever. And there is like absolutely just a lot of like a lot of porn fanfic. Like I don't know how yeah. many times I popped open a fanfic and was like, whoa, whoa, nope, not, not <laughs> what I was looking not what you were for. Looking for. Yeah. Right. But there are some like really incredible writers out there who are cutting their teeth on that kind of stuff or just like I just really love these two characters and I didn't get enough of them in the book or the show or whatever. So I'm going to like, you know, do a little side quest with them over here. There's some great fanfic like, out there. I mean, there's so much like gatekeeping in art and like, this is the right way to do something. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. For me, it's just like, whatever, whatever gets you going, you know, if it's fanfic, yeah. like I never wrote fanfic, but I, I certainly was like writing a lot of really pretty bad ripoffs of like Stephen King stuff for a very long time. You know, sure. <laughs> like we all start where we start. And like, you know, just because it's fanfic doesn't mean it's bad. You know, I know yeah. that like in the Star Trek world, like it's like sort of considered part of the like fandom, you know, it's mm. yeah. Yeah. Is it true? I mean, sometimes things, things, fanfic things will make it into canon for like some of these sci-fi series i think i believe that's kind of how ron moore who went on to create battlestar galactica and stuff kind of was like writing star trek fanfic and then got hired to write oh really Space nine and you know so it makes like, a lot of sense i mean yeah. like yeah like we all start somewhere right and we start with emulating what we know yeah. and mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a prompt like a, a safe place to kind of splash around and practice right. and exercise your you know well, and I think Your people, people yeah. forget that, like, fundamentally, yes, we're artists and we all have things we want to say, but, like, fundamentally, it should be fun. Yes. Like, we should enjoy <laughs> what we're doing. Yes. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, fanfic, I, I mean, if, if there had been a, like, world of online Stephen King fanfic, which I'm sure there is, but I just missed it, I would have 100% been doing that. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's, I was listening to, you know, in the never ending debate about like, or like our audiobooks books and, mm-hmm. or, you know, <laughs> if you read something on an e-reader, is that reading a book or, uh, you know, our graphic novels books or whatever. And it's so, it's always fascinating to me to see the discourse about it. And then to see the librarians, you know, come charging in and just sort of unequivocally <laughs> saying, Yes, it's all all reading. It's all good. We're not gatekeeping this. If somebody can only listen to a book on an audiobook, that is just the same as them sitting down with a like a hard physical copy. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing that in um in schools 
um, mm. or something similar in schools in terms of students, younger students wanting to read like graphic novels and comic books mm-hmm. and, you know, teacher and teachers wanting to use them, but then maybe getting some pushback that mm. that's not like real reading. Right. But I think that first of all, yes, it should be fun. So we should start with anything that's engaging to yeah. get the kids reading, let them know. And then to read, I mean, to read a graphic novel and a comic book, like that's an art form that takes a specific set of skills to read. You know, it's mm-hmm. some, it's a text yep. that teaches you to read it. You need to read it in a certain order. You need to be comprehending. You need, you're, you're decoding the images, right? You know, you're, yeah. You're, oh, that's like, a great point. Like it's a, it's a specific kind of reading. Yeah. I know a lot of filmmakers who really talk about like, because I was never that big of a comic book reader myself, but I know a lot mm-hmm. of filmmakers who talk about reading comic books was like their cinematic training because mm. because it's it, that was their way of learning how to incorporate word and image to tell a story. Oh wow! Yeah. And yeah, like, so true. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. how are you setting it out in the right in the in the frame? So right. when you're when you're looking at sometimes when you know in a big panel in a graphic novel or a comic book there's this big like a whole page panel or something but then something's at the center and what does that mean you know and, or what is that facial expression mm-hmm. saying you know or yeah. like even like how much space it's taking up on the page that means it's like right you know that's like exactly. it's underlined and bolded so what does that yeah. mean yeah 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 so, so shannon you yeah. you did to hop topics just a little bit you mm-hmm. uh you wrote a play that i was in Oh yeah, (laughs) over a decade ago. Um, And so I wanted to ask you about that too. Like, are you like sort of firmly on the author trailer? Is there anything that is like, oh, I might, I might come back to playwriting or any other uh, forms? I have, yeah. Oh yeah, that was a that was such a cool experience. I think about it fondly. (laughs) I know it was so much fun. So so I just remember energetically pulling a trash can in <laughs> in a lot of different stage. directions yeah <laughs> yeah but a lot oh, of fun you were so good um I and and like what you just said Scotty like I like theater because it is I mean it's called a play you know I feel mm-hmm. like it's like it's a play it's fun yeah. it's it's um it's alive and it's up there and it involves mm. a lot of people so I haven't written a play in a long time but I do think about it and especially when I'm trying to write my novels because it's a very solitary pursuit. Yeah. (laughs) You're just like kind of by yourself for a really long time. And that experience of having written a play and then um, getting it up on its feet and then making adjustments as actors are like embodying parts of it, you know, and like bringing new things to it. It would give me ideas for how to edit the play while I was writing it. So haven't done it, but think about doing it. One thing that I studied in um, my MFA program, um, which is a really cool program because it does, and I I I kind of alluded to it before, but um, it allows you to study different, study in different genres. Mm. Um, And screenwriting is one, I did take a couple screenwriting classes while I was doing Mm. my MFA program. And I found that I love that a lot. And it also informed my fiction writing too, to be able to, you know, use your brain to write in a different way, more cinematically, more about, you know, the, uh, in a in a imagery kind of focus kind of what you know what might it look like yeah it, it was interesting to see how then that was affecting because I would um uh words <laughs> <laughs> adapt I would adapt like a short story to a screenplay mm. and then I would then have ideas to take back into the short story after I oh, had beautiful. written into the screenplay because it was like I was thinking I was seeing it in my mind's eye a different way I think yeah 
awesome. Well, I'd, I'd rather run yeah. the bloom is like very, I mean, it, we talked about it a bit, but it's very visual. It's very cinematic. Like there, there are, there were chapters that I kind of could see as a movie and even like things like I'm thinking of uh, one particular scene where she's working in a record store. She catches her brother up to no good. And then her dad shows up. Like, and just the way the whole <laughs> it was one of the scenes I said rattled me yeah. more than anything I've read in a horror novel this year but like oh wow yeah but the way like it's you a stressful know, one <laughs> the way she sees her brother zipping up his jacket because he's obviously mm-hmm. stealing something mm-hmm. you know the image of the stuff falling to the floor and then the dad coming in with him with his hand on the back of his neck just I saw it as like I mean mm-hmm. it unfolded like a movie so I think that screenwriting background even taking a couple classes i found because i started as a fiction writer way back in the day then i moved over to screenwriting and then i've kind of moved back to fiction and i found when i moved back to fiction my writing style changed a lot and i think it was Mm. very much because of the time i spent screenwriting yeah Um, okay cool yeah so I, i mean it makes sense to me that like that would kind of work its way into your just your process in general yeah, for sure. And I think some of it has to do with character and perspective too, because the when you're like writing in that one person's perspective, mm-hmm. you have to, like we were talking about, you still have to know what all the other characters' perspectives are, but mm-hmm. you can get really stuck in it. And, you know, the film is, you know, you're looking, it's t- totally opposite of when you're writing from a PO, first person POV, because mm-hmm. the camera's looking at the person, you know, right. it's like, what do they look like on the outside? And mm-hmm. it's almost like I want to write every future project and like, the different formats as an exercise at least maybe yeah. one, one scene to see you know well you yeah. have like you know it's, you know i teach screening and i'm always yeah. I'm always having to get on my students because they're always wanting to go into interior monologue mm-hmm. like or like you know backstory and, and i'm like you have to stick with what can we see in here and if a character is feeling something you have to show it through their behavior <laughs> and you're right you know you are we're very much in Marisol's perspective, but the way you reveal what other characters are feeling or thinking, you know, with little face, I, I think of the scene where the dad is trying to show them the telescope and her brother kind of storms off and <sighs> you just see the look on her dad's face when he realizes like he kind of fucked up this moment. Like you don't have to go into like his thought process. We just see it all on his face. So mm-hmm. in that sense, like um, Marisol kind of becomes the camera in that way you know Mm. we're seeing it all through her lens but again you've got like such a grasp of how to show those little character nuances and what a character is feeling without having to like go into into their head you know Mm. thank you i think that um at least for Marisol, soul i think that she's a an easier character to do that with because she's almost like she's almost like hyper vigilant like mm-hmm. she is she's like really aware of what's going on around mm-hmm. her um mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard for her to almost to a point to where it's like crippling for her in some ways. exactly yes she's she's got she's got so much going on inside that she can't um express it fast enough and mm-hmm. obviously it boils out in like other ways but yeah she's a, she's a character who is who is very observant and so i think in that in in this case it uh you know it works to be able to use her mind's eye to to notice these things even though mm-hmm. and then and then for the reader some sometimes as the reader the adult reader with a little separation you know you understand it more than what she does you know you understand it better than what she does in that yeah, moment but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. oh that's such a lovely way of putting that yeah mm-hmm. cuz there's definitely stuff where i was like Marisol, 
Yeah, right. <laughs> like, girl, come on. <laughs> come on now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's the unreliable narrator of yeah. it all. But she's not so on. But I, I think that part of that project, too, is kind of uh, the, the project of um, trying to get the reader to understand Marisol was to show in which way she is unreliable, in which way she is reliable. Yeah. And, you know, and to, to get that to be consistent throughout. Well, she's unreliable in the sense of like typical teenager. You know, she's kind of like got her head up her own ass. She can't mm-hmm. see through yep. other people's <laughs> eyes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she overinterprets everything that everyone else is thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, as a 45 year old man reading her, like I had enough distance that I could like, I was aware that she was doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. you're so locked into her perspective that that it's easy to kind of, you know, it's a typical teenage thing is you lose the forest for the trees. Teenagers are not able to like see the big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, every single little thing is so heightened, you know. And, you know, oh, my God, she got embarrassed in front of this boy she likes. It's the end of the world, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he was talking to another girl. It's the end of the world. Uh, that's a great <laughs> example, like, when with the whole thing with Lila, the Los Tumbleweeds mm-hmm. girl. Yes. Uh, like, I was feeling what she was feeling, like, the moment mm-hmm. she sees them together and everything. And then I was also thinking, like, just, like, go ask, like, if that's his girlfriend. Like, don't right. freak out about it, you know? <laughs> But of course, she's a teenage girl. She's not going to ask. No, and I, again, like, same thing, like, grounded adult Amelia was like, yeah, just go, like, go, go talk to him. Like, clearly he's into you. Go talk to him. And then, like, wounded child Amelia was also like, run away. (laughs) (laughs) Run away. Exactly. She's so Give him a dirty look and, like, throw, like, say something shitty to him and then run away. (laughs) Slam a door somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Sorry, my mind's going in a, in a lot of different directions now because um, I've uh, so middle grade fiction. So the you know the ch- the chapter books that would be for the age you know like right. um, eleven to, to thirteen or something mm-hmm. is um, really different. A really different focus and actually kind of the opposite focus. It's a it's a lot more about global things and like the big picture. Mm-hmm. So when teenagers are losing the forest for the trees, it's really interesting because they've previously been and developmentally. So, you know, middle schoolers are really interested in like justice and like knowing things and like knowing the order of mm-hmm. the world. And that's mm-hmm. like d- what they're doing developmentally. Like they're kind of like their big revelation and what a lot of middle grade fiction is about. It's about, you know, that's why it's like adventure stories and like mysteries and, you know, like, yeah, because they're kind of like, Oh, maybe the world's not what I thought it was. Uh, Right. But YA fiction is a lot of, it's very internally focused and it's kind of like, Oh, maybe I'm not who I thought I was. Well, because when you're at that middle grade level, I'm just remembering my experience as a child. Like, I don't think you have a, when you're like 11 years old, you really don't have a fully developed sense of self yet. Mm -hmm. And then you hit 13, 14, and all of a sudden you're very aware of yourself. Yes. But then it's like become like in this heightened way that's overwhelming where it's like yourself Mm -hmm. is the only thing. Yes. Like you, then you forget the rest of the world. You're ascribing a lot of meaning to everything. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. then it's about finding your way to like a balance between the two. Like that's adulthood, you know? Yes, totally. And I think that's why a lot of YA 
the stories that are romance have uh, love triangles. Mm. And, a, and a lot of people kind of, you know, that might be like kind of a, you know, like, oh, what a silly trope. In te- but when you're a teenager, it's, it's I think it's, it's actually not about either person. It's about you. You know, right. it's like, Emma, what is it? Because you're internally focused in a social way. Like you're, yeah, you're trying to develop, yeah. develop, develop socially, but you're trying to figure out like, where am I in all of this? Who, who am I in all of this? And if I choose this kind of person, what does that say about me? Or if I choose this kind of person, what does it say about me? So that's why wow. the, it's like a girl and it's like two very different guys. And it's like, there's yeah, like, it's like this... Hunger Games of what's a PETA. Exactly. Yeah. PETA dudes. and um, Gail. Exactly. Gail. Perfect. Yeah. PETA's like very gentle, soft, mm-hmm. internally focused. Gail is very like, you know, he's the fire and he's fiery and he's more like Katniss and he's hard. Right. And PETA is soft and Pete. And so Katniss is real. And she's literally, she's at that crux in the story in her life. Right. Like, am I going to be like, am I going to be militant? Mm-hmm. Right. Or am I going to be more autistic, artistic rather? Like she's got both of these things inside of her. So it's not yeah. really about, the, it's not about the boys at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so funny. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny mm-hmm. that you say that because she really does at the end, she, mm-hmm. she talks about it, yeah. you know, that mm-hmm. she's like, Gail was all of this and this fire and everything. Mm-hmm. And what she like needed and wanted was that sort of like soft mm-hmm. warmth. Yeah, because it's too much fire, Man, it just I, burns I, everything. I love yeah. Peta. I loved Peta I so know. much. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Man, the Hunger Games is good. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I, uh, I Breaking recently, news. You heard yeah. it here first. <laughs> yeah, Listen, official stance. Yeah, official hot take of the Weirdest Thing podcast. And our guest is that the Hunger Games is quite good. Um <laughs> It was so funny because I had, I just read the, whatever it is, the song of, uh, I can't, whatever the new. Oh yeah. The, like, it's a prequel. Right. I yeah. haven't read it actually. Mm-hmm. Did you like it? I didn't mind it, but it's also, I mean, it's Coriolane. It's, you know, it's centered on Coriolana Snow, who is like not a good person. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not that I'm like the book was bad, but I'm like, you know, you just have Where's a hard time like rooting. When, like that's your, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's. But it did make me, it did make me very like nostalgic for the original series. Mm. And I was like, maybe I should go back and like, you know, I was like flipping through like favorite parts of the books. And I was like, I can't, I'm not going to touch Mockingjay because just there's so much death. Yeah. (laughs) Really, really intense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, if you're a fan of the, of the world, you know, it's interesting to to check out especially i think what was the most interesting about it because the book that book takes place during the 10th hunger games okay. and hunger games and you know the the sequels are like the 74th and the 75th i think mm-hmm. hunger games so it's a it's an interesting little look at that world you know like 5 6 decades prior to right. the events of the original books uh, okay. so that's there's some developed. neat yeah there's some neat insight in there about like oh wow like that is how we got to the point where it is in the hunger games yeah. So some cool like They're world cool. building yeah, yeah it's like, that. I'm, like it's very different but like i'm a big fan of the purge movies mm. um and then you get to like the first <laughs> purge and it's like oh yeah no now now the whole world because when you take and it's the same with like the hunger games where it's like how did this world develop that seems like so psychotic where we're like sacrificing our teenagers in this crazy battle royale kind of thing yeah it's the same with the purge like how did we get to a point <laughs> yeah. where we just yeah. have a night where you're able to do whatever the fucking murder whoever the fuck <laughs> 
Um, yeah. But then when you How go back here? and you start being like, oh, these are the agendas that the people had that set this up. And like, mm. then it becomes like sort of a, a deeper kind of political allegory in that sense. I don't know how it plays in the Hunger Games prequel, but that's how. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's not dissimilar. Yeah. yeah. And it is, it is, I think one of the other things that it does too, is that it also, the original trilogy is very much like capital bad districts good. Mm-hmm. And there is some insight into what life was like for the people in the capital during the war and in the aftermath of it, mm, which is, you know, yeah, also is just like, like broadens the scope of empathy, I think, a little bit for these characters. But Snow still sucks. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's just an evil person. Yeah, what a task to assign yourself as Suzanne yeah. Collins. Like, I'm going to write from this person's perspective. Like, yeah. That's yeah. On my other uh, podcast, I interviewed an author and she was talking about the Twilight series and how, mm-hmm. which I've never really read, but I've seen the movies. But she yeah, talked same. about the, whatever <laughs> the, the new book, which where it's all from Edward's perspective. Oh, and she said oh, once yeah. you get into his perspective, it actually finally turns into a horror novel. Oh, God. Because you're like seeing from the vampire's perspective. And I guess the first scene where they meet in the classroom or whatever, she says, from his perspective, he was like so overwhelmed by his like desire for her blood, basically, that he was like planning, like, how do I murder everyone in this room so I can like get to her? And so, like, that's what was going on in his head. Ah! He was like, it totally changes your perspective. What a dreamboat. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not quite the dream boat that we thought it was. Wow. So, um, Scotty knows this. Shannon, I'm obsessed with Trixie Mattel, drag queen Trixie Mattel, mm-hmm. and um, uh, also by proxy, her partner in crime, Katya. And they have a series on Netflix, YouTube, called Queens Who Watch. I'm obsessed with it. And most of it, oh my God, most it. of it is them watching like uh, <laughs> Netflix shows, but <laughs> it was... Uh, Trixie was not there, so I think it was Katya and Jujubi, another drag queen, and they watched the Twilight movies. Oh, and I Jujubi, that. <laughs> it is amazing because Jujubi has has no freight, like has not read the books, has not okay. seen the movies, and so like the first scene when they're in that classroom, Jujubi is just like, "What the fuck is wrong with him?" does he smell so does she smell bad and of course it's drag queen so it's like ooh, her pussy smells (laughs) i died incredible it is fantastic yes go and watch it it is go and watch all the uh, like scotty you gotta see these these videos they're so good i will Um, immediately i will (laughs) cue those up right away (laughs) so speaking of like the hunger games and twilight of it all like you know, obviously, this book is like sort of very much a like coming of age, you know, dealing with grief, you know, kind of very grounded, very real. Are you interested? You know, you said you started with like Animorphs fan fiction. Do you see yourself mm-hmm. ever going for like, even in the YA space, like more genre stuff, like a big sci fi epic or, you know, anything like that? Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I love, I, I love to read sci fi I and speculative fiction in particular. And may yeah, maybe I would. I it seems really daunting. Like the world building part seems like kind of a lot. My brain doesn't really work that way. Like I know a lot of writers who, you know, plot things out, you know, outline and stuff before, yeah. before they start writing books. And the screenwriting classes help me with that a lot. Like the structure, you know, having mm. like, you know, work from a framework that is actually sad, sad to deliver this news, very helpful. <laughs> but <laughs> 
yeah. when you're working on a project and I kind of like to just vibe at first, but I think that it probably would save me a lot of time if I strengthen mm. up those muscles that would then mm. allow me to do some world building and things like that, because I just think it's, it's, it's um, sci-fi and speculative fiction is an interesting genre to be able to talk about contemporary grounded real world things mm. in a way that is really heightened and interesting because yeah, and play with allegory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I might, I don't have any specific ideas, but I did, I wrote that Animorphs fan fiction. And then I wrote a play when I was in high school that was about a dystopian future mm, nice. world in which um, no one was allowed to read anymore. Mm. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, so maybe I would, maybe I would go back to it. I mean, that's why, uh, like, I stay away from kind of straight sci-fi and fantasy for mm-hmm. kind of the reason you just said, is it's like, okay. I'm not not an analytical writer. I'm definitely like a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants writer. And I think okay. horror, same. part of the appeal <laughs> of horror is like, I don't know, all you got to do is like throw in something weird halfway through. You know, it's like, <laughs> you, know, you don't actually have to like explain it in horror, which is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. What I'm getting from this is writing horror is easy because you yeah. just need to throw something weird in. <laughs> yeah, just throw some weird <laughs> shit in and then, <laughs> yeah. then you're done. Just call it a day. Something unsettling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Immediate cancellation of this podcast and of me for saying that. No. <laughs> I think it sounds very hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah i i agree with like i am always like super impressed with people who can do the world building mm-hmm. um and like i'm a big fan of the song of ice and fire books if they ever fucking get finished but i okay. can't imagine trying to write something like that and keeping all of that straight right know? yeah and having you know things that are mentioned as an off hand way in the first book then it's like oh this is an entire world that's explored in the third book you know it's like that planning ahead like i can't think that way no yeah generations ahead you know that there's just like right. a whole history and lineage and not to mention not not only the people that are alive right now but also all their grandparents are relevant for different reasons for like different reasons <laughs> right exactly <laughs> it's part of why i like stephen king's dark tower books because it's so clear he was just making that shit up as he went and like <laughs> they're a total mess but they like you know they hang together just enough that you can kind of like stay with it but yeah <laughs> so well what other weird shit should we talk about <laughs> you said you had some notes <laughs> oh yeah i brought uh, i brought a weird thing that i okay. um to share with you guys and i was trying Beautiful. to think of something kind of on theme to bring to the conversation okay. so i can t- i'll tell you how i how i got to my weird thing um Gorgeous. i was ref- <laughs> i was reflecting on weird things i heard growing up in new mexico mm-hmm. where my book is of course proudly set yep. um and also that like spooky season still kind of in the air mm-hmm. um, at this time. And so, and that made me think of like La Llorona and La Chupacabra and like yeah. my uncles telling weird stories about them to scare my siblings and I when we were growing up. <laughs> Which I feel like it's a very like uncle thing to do. And then I remembered one night my mom jumped in with her own monster to talk about. So in the mm. spirit of like immigrant moms telling kids weird shit to scare them. Love it. <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk to you about the Mananangal. Have you guys heard of her? No. No. Okay. Um, sources for this. My mom. 
Um, <laughs> um, also, uh, vampirefacts.net, beautiful, um, ancientorigins.net, and the Cebu Daily News. Nice. Um, so the Mananangal is it's a mythical creature from Philippine folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's typically described as a witch, but also sometimes people refer to her as a vampire mm. who can detach her upper body from her lower body and wow. grow bat-like wings and then fly <laughs> at night. The top oh, half. Nice. <laughs> yeah, what's what's just... the lower half doing? It's just like hanging out? I'm glad you asked. The lower <laughs> half is is left behind and it's vulnerable. So um, that is the way that you would kill a Mananangal would be to discover her legs, her Mm. lower half, and Mm. you could spread salt or ash on it because if and that would destroy the bottom, her bottom Mm. half. And if the bottom's destroyed, then the upper part cannot rejoin Uh. and she'll die at sunrise. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. So the Mananangals, they're a type of Aswang, um, which is a spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, the name derives from the word tangal, which means to remove. Yeah. And they're also sometimes called tic-tics, which refers to the sound that their wings make. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's like tic-tic-tic. And it's meant to confuse you because the way it like kind of throws the sound. So it sounds like it's far away, but it's actually very close to you. Oh, nice. So by the time you hear the tic-tic, it's too late for you. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so... Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah I found this to be uh, very terrifying when my mom was telling me about the, <laughs> about the Mananangal at, um, or like around the campfire. Yes, and some context around it that I think is really interesting because I think it's interesting to think about like where these monsters right. come from and kind of like we're like what it says about us that we've you know yeah thought, thought of them or um or maybe maybe we didn't invent them maybe they're real but um <laughs> like in ancient philippine culture women held important positions like priestesses and healers mm, and midwives right, okay. and they also had some degree of sexual freedom so there's this book called aswang and other kinds of witches a comparative analysis by kathleen nadeau and in it she writes the fear of witches in the european context might be based on a fear of uncontrollable women but mm. in contrast in regional southeast asia it might be something or someone who may represent a danger to their children. And that's because um, Mananangal's primary prey is pregnant women. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is uh, the legend of the Mananangal is, is subject. It's a subject of many Filipino horror stories, books, and movies. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she's a very part popular part of Philippine culture to this Uh, day. That's almost like, um, I believe we go to like Mesopotamian folklore. I don't think it's Lilithu, which is obviously like Lilith. Uh-huh. I think it's Lamash too, is mm. a demon that again preys on like uh, pregnant women and babies. Mm. So it seems like that. Yeah. It's definitely, and you got to think those kind of fears have to deal with like infant mortality and like. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's again, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but to me, one of the what like one of my favorite things is finding something like that, that it's like, you know, I don't know how often we think beyond like past the spooky story itself Mm -hmm. and really get into like, well, what is the origin of it? And where did it come from? And 
Uh, yeah. And like, what is the too. fear that it's addressing? And so many times it is women. Women are scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or we have to control women in some way. Right, right. Like yeah. an uncontrolled woman, nothing is scarier than an uncontrolled woman. But yeah, to see the like deep, dark fears that powerful people in any society, the things that they are truly, truly scared about and how often it is, you know, like uncontrolled uncontrolled women uncontrolled like femininity mm-hmm. now yeah. i'm thinking about everything from like bobby yaga to like you know uh hansel and gretel there's mm-hmm. a reason why witches are like predominantly well, displayed in a lot of folklore well there's something about i think it taps into a real taboo the like the female figure which is like what we would think about is the nurturing the motherly figure that being mm. turned on its head in some way where all of a sudden it's the female figure that's preying on the children. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's that gets to some like real lizard brain stuff. It's yeah. totally because that does seem to pop up like everywhere. You know? Yeah. Yes. A deviant from the norm is yeah. something that seems to be a like a really deep-rooted human fear. Right. Yeah. And of course, as our norms become, you know, our norms like shift and change over time. But in a lot of cultures, there are these really restrictive norms and a lot of them are gender norms. And so Mm -hmm. any kind of deviant from the gender norm is like, she's a witch. That's that's (laughs) lying around it too. Yeah. Yeah. Drowning children in a river. Like, I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, What could be more unmother-like? Yeah. And like like, you said, more deviant-like than right. than uh than a mother who who kills her own children well, and then if you take it to more like real world things like the the amount of attention whenever you have a story of a mother killing their children you know i think mm-hmm. of the andrea andrea yates the mm-hmm. woman in texas 20 years ago or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that just hits such a nerve with people mm-hmm. but like you know, yeah. you gotta think. Like, I wonder if some of these stories. Oh, I'm not gonna even try to pronounce it. But what what was the? <laughs> oh, Mananangal. Mananangal. Yes. Um, <laughs> things like that, or Lamash too. Like, I, <laughs> I have to wonder if, like, this goes back to if there were incidents of, like, you know, a mother in postpartum depression in prehistoric times, you know, killing mm. her children, mm-hmm. and these things kind of become weird cultural memories that get passed down. Which is, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the La Llorona episode. Family mm-hmm. annihilators, like, ninety-seven percent right. of them are men. Yeah. Men go around killing their spouses and their children. Yeah, it's way, like like, yeah way. Like it is, mm-hmm. you are at a much bigger threat and you're in much more danger of being killed. <laughs> sounds so terrible. But by your father than you 100%. are of being killed by your mother. Yeah. And it's, yes. it's- Or a stranger, by the way. Yes, yeah. Which is this, which is often the the specter, you know, of right. crime. Right, stranger and, danger. You know, women yeah. are in, in danger. Yeah, women yeah. and children yeah. are in danger of strangers, which is, they're simply not. Yeah, (laughs) for the most part. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's so funny that, but I think again, that's the thing, right? Is that like these stories are created by the people that are in power, and Mm -hmm. that has historically been men. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, oh well, yeah, that guy killed his entire family because he was in ridiculous debt. But look at this woman who killed all of her babies, (laughs) and isn't she the worst? Yeah, (laughs) like, yeah, it's a very, it's it's very telling, uh, like lore. Yeah, absolutely. I'm fascinated by like the specificity of the detaching body, though. That's also like, (laughs) where does that come from? That seems very like specific. 
I got a beautiful print. I was at Comic-Con a few weeks ago and I got a beautiful print by the artist Alex Cabal, who does these illustrations. Uh, she's Filipina and she does these really cool illustrations of Filipina culture and like renders them in a cool way. And I got a print of Amana Nangal, just like looking like very badass and cool with Ooh. like a little blood coming down her lip and her entrails oh are just blowing in the wind. Yeah. Can you send <laughs> us like a, a copy of that so we can post it on social media? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> and her entrails are just blowing in the wind. She's free balling. She's just like... I'm not attached to the rest of me. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Right. Like, is it like the, because I mean, there's the whole, like some people, people would refer to that as like a Filipino vampire because she does, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of, you know, she comes out at night and she's like sucking the life out of these unborn children and Mm -hmm. their mothers and stuff. So it's kind of vampiric and like vampires are what they're about, like suppressed lust or is like about suppressed a Desire, lot of suppressed kind of. lust and also like seduction a lot of seduction. times seduction yeah so this is i don't know yeah for a woman to like fully to have this desire to like consume a baby and like only keep it to nighttime and then like rend yeah. yourself in half in order to do it like there's something yeah there's something in there yeah yeah that that is very very interesting i'm gonna have to read more on that i feel yes. like mm-hmm. i'd read about a a and I and I could be completely wrong about this. I read about a Japanese vampire myth that's almost similar, but I don't remember oh. the specifics. Oh, cool! But I wonder if there's any sort of crossover, you know, just most geographic likely. crossover. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've definitely heard of. Um, I haven't heard of the Japanese one in specifically, but I think there's one similar, very similar in Malaysia. Mm. Mm. So it would make sense for there to be some cross pollination across the the yeah. islands there. I do have a book rec. I do have a a book recommendation. Yes. Um, yes. If you're interested in reading more about the Mananangal, um, at least in fiction, um, there's a book called Never Have I Ever, which is a collection of short stories by the writer Isabel Yap. Have you read it, either one of you? No, but you I've heard it? of Isabel Yap. Oh, great! Yeah, she's cool. She's a she's a Clarion alumna. She's had stories in Tor.com, Nightmare, Uncanny, and she was a Locus Award finalist. And this short fiction, it has elements of horror, surrealism, and a lot of folklore. And the first story in the short story collection is called Good Girls. And it's set um, in a a reformation school for girls. Uh, Some girls that have been violent or they've acted somehow outside Mm. the norm of how women are meant to behave. And they're sent to this kind of reformatory school. And they have to recite a pledge every day that is, I'm a good girl. I'm a good girl for a good world. And while I know it is not always easy to be good, I promise to at least try. And in the story, the girl who is the POV character realizes that her roommate is actually Amana Nangal. Um, (laughs) And the story takes place in the modern Philippines, which has changed a lot since the origins of the legend through, um, you know, lots of years of 300 years of Spanish colonization, Mm. Japanese occupation, 50 years of American colonization, too. So I think that that is interesting, too, that there's now this reformatory school element or the yeah used would use that context to kind of explore the myth in a contemporary context i'll have to and it sounds like i should get her on my other podcast oh yeah yeah i'll have to look that up yeah for sure out (laughs) shannon you are about to land in albuquerque i think when this comes out you i think will either be here you were on you will be on your way here so tell people where they can find you when you are here 
<laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yes. So I am, well, you can um, find these details on my website, which is shannoncfrogers.com and find links to all of my socials. I'm Shannon C. F. Rogers on everything. Beautiful. But I will be in Albuquerque on November 13th at Books on the Bosque. Yay. Um, yay. And I'll be in conversation with another debut author who will be coming in from Arizona. Her name is ha um, Haley Alcaraz. And on November 14th, I'll be at Bookworks in conversation with our friend Amanda Michon. Yay! Um, <laughs> yeah. Yay! Performer, musician, and host of Absolutely Albuquerque on Very Local, and also a fellow Filipina who grew up in Albuquerque. She was actually in a play, that play that I wrote in high school about the dystopian future. Yes! <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to having a nostalgic conversation with her about teen drama and things. Yay! And on November 18th, I'll be in Taos at Somos Books at, or yes, on November 18th at 5.30 p.m. in conversation with the poet Catherine Lim. And that conversation is hosted by Kundaman Southwest. And Kundaman is a national organization dedicated to the creation and cultivation of Asian American creative writing. Beautiful. Awesome. Amazing. Well, congratulations on your book. I devoured it. I pre-purchased. I pre and like the day it came out, I was like, let's let's do this. Um, <laughs> I think I like, I woke up and like checked my phone and I was like, let's rock and roll. Um, I devoured it. I'm, I know Scotty devoured it as yeah. well. Um, just such a beautiful, beautiful book and, and congratulations on just a lovely debut novel. And we can't wait to see what else uh, you do. Yeah. Thank you so much. I actually can share that I have uh, my second book is going to be coming out next summer. It's called 18 Roses and uh, you can pre-order now or edit on Oh, nice. Well, Fantastic. We'll, we'll include a link. Yeah. Yes, thank we'll you. do that. For our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you've reached this point and you're listening to us on Spotify, go ahead and smash, give us a five-star review. If you're on any other podcasting platform go ahead and leave us a review we love hearing from you all we're going to do this episode then we're going to have we're going to take a break for thanksgiving then we're going to do an episode in december and then we're going to take a break until after the new year's we're mm -hmm. hard at work for all of you guys coming up with weird tales uh and more for all of you again shannon thank you so so much yeah listeners stay weird stay curious and we'll see you next time bye bye your mind with the finest nonsense we could find might be true and that's the weirdest thing